Welcome to the RSP Cast Quick Game Week 18. Mark Schofield. That's why you're here, folks. Mark Schofield. Really? Yeah. Oh, for absolutely. Me? For you. Questionable. Well, you're here because it's your. It was your birthday this past. It was. Weekend. How old are you? Let's. I am 44. See, we just dispense with even being like polite, you know. But oh. then that's a women thing, right? More than it is I mean, a guy thing. Look, I'm an open book. I, I've mentioned that before. People want to know height, weight. BMI, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm here. I mean, I, I I shared with everybody my college stats the other week, which, friends, we have an update on that. Because Jake Fay, who was the guy that I backed up at Wesleyan, reached out on Twitter just a couple of days ago and says he has some game film on VHS in his attic. Ah. Uh... So, Stay tuned, friends, but there might at some point be a breakdown of my one and only failed start in college coming your way. And I bring that up because if you watched the Giants-Cowboys game, you might have seen a throw from Andy Dalton made moving to his left that looked like a punt, like it was end over end. And I tweeted out that it was the worst throw made by a quarterback rolling to his left since Wesley and at Hamilton in 1997. <laughs> And that, that got some people curious, including my buddy Jake from back in the day. So stay tuned, friends. So, so I, I understand if somebody else has made a claim to or a request to have this on their site. But, but I would I would throw in mind that if you want it to be housed at the RSP, we you know, we would be I, I honored. We would be honored that, to put it there. For all that you've done for me, I think I owe you this. <laughs> I mean I think I owe you that. Well, it, it just depends. I, I would be I would be honored to house that. So I will I will have some suggestions for a uh, a boiler room. I did have a couple of good throws in that game that had like a boiler room episode done. I had one rolling to the left that I swear I threw into a shoebox. Well, I swear it. Well, we could do we could do it where you could supply me the tape and I could do a boiler room on it. <laughs> I want to have some editorial control okay. here. Okay. okay. Well, I, we can get your approval. I mean, like, okay. I'll, I'll give okay. you like the okay before we do this first, so that at least you're not completely humiliated. Because, you know, the good thing is that uh, Mark strikes me as the type of dude that's the older he gets, the younger he gets, and the crazier he gets. So this might actually be good. By at some point, like he's gonna like we're gonna meet like in you know I started kind of weird, and I think he's like he started normal, and I think by the time we like. You know, by the time you're like 65 and I'm, I guess I'm almost 70 at that point, you know, we'll, we'll be at like that median level where we're both a little so. crazy. So, I mean, I, I'm certainly accelerating the crazy as, as the years start to rack up here. I and will I, say that. And I'm starting to get a little more normal. So I don't know. <laughs> we're we're good influence on each other, Matt. I it, think that's what this is. Exactly. So th this is, this should be a fun week. And before we get started, you know, again, I'm going to. Uh, you know, this is our this is my second podcast of the day. Actually, I just did one with Brandon um, Thorne over at Trench Warfare. Highly recommend you guys checking that out. So, if you guys want to learn about the true skill players in the NFL, um, we talk a lot about that and their influence on the on the highlight guys that we like to talk about a lot here on this particular show. Um, and so, I highly recommend checking that out. And of course, the RSP is now available for pre-order, and you can download it on April first. There's also a new product, the RSP um, 
you know, rankings and two-year projections package. Um, that's priced on its own, and you can find that at mattwaldman.com. If you're someone who has been kind of on the fence about getting the RSP, you know, listen, I highly, this is the, by far the best thing that I do in this space. Um, so, you know, I, I work year round on this. This is what I do full time for a living. Um, been doing it for 16 years and it, you know, you can look at mountwaldmanrsp.com and look at some of the scouting reports on players there. I think it'll give you all that you need to know in terms of, um, you know, why it can be appealing and, and have value to you as both a fantasy player and someone who wants to learn more about skill positions in the draft. And if it's not just me, come from Mark's work because, you know, what he does with quarterbacks is second to none. He's fantastic in terms of evaluating that position as well as, you know, really looking at the game as a whole. And so we're going to get a chance to look at that right now, talk a little bit about that right now. So the first thing I want to ask is just from the broad overview of everything, what value do you get from week 17 in the NFL? Is next to nothing a viable option? Yes. Because I, that's pretty much where I'm at at week 17. Now, obviously, there are some games where you do learn some things about a handful of players. But for the most part, like, you know, NFL coaches are kind of in evaluation mode. NFL coaches are sitting people down for the playoffs. NFL coaches are, you know, sort of looking towards the future, whether it's the postseason or 2021. And so there are limited opportunities to get a sense of players. I mean, I've watched Justin Herbert against Kansas City, and you still see some of the things that have made Justin Herbert potentially the rookie of the year, um, but he's doing it largely against, uh, you know, backups. You see a situation where, you know, players come in, um, get a little bit of run, Mason Rudolph against the Browns, who had something to play for, and, you know, perhaps you learn a couple of things. But – I don't put much stock into week 17 because um, I, because I, I really think, you know, it's human nature. If you're a four and 11 team in the final week, you've checked out a bit. I mean, it's just human nature. And there are certainly guys fighting for jobs. There are guys fighting for roster spots, but I don't put a ton of stock into it. What about you? No, I mean, I'll just put it to you this way. When I'm, when I find myself on Twitter, enjoying um, Byron Pringle highlights, um, Darwin Thompson highlights and Antonio Williams, a guy who had two touchdowns for the bills who I wrote about in the RSP. And I've been retweeting only because I really enjoyed looking back at that and saying, this isn't a guy who's probably going to be a starter in the league, but he could make an NFL team and talk about the emotional element of the game and how you can look at a guy's tape and see emotional resiliency. And so I had done this whole thing at him at North Carolina after he had transferred from Ohio state where he really didn't get much play, but he did a lot of coaching up of young players um, that they're, according to the Ohio State staff, saying that he was extremely valuable in the film room. And then he went to North Carolina back to his home state and like started for maybe a year <laughs> before some of those bigger name prospects started to come aboard. And, you know, just showed something, you know, enough that you can say, I could see how this guy could make an NFL team. And so when you see a guy coming in week 17 and score a couple touchdowns, you're like, oh, that's cool. You know, you had 80 yards, a couple touchdowns, showed that he could do more than be a special teams guy if they needed him a little bit from time to time. But, you know, he's not threatening Zach Moss or, or Devin Singletary just yet. So my point right. being is that if that's what the competition is like largely across the NFL, which it is, then that bleeds into our next question, which is, you know, we look at Tua Tagovailoa. And there's all this, he's not who he's cracked up to be 
or maybe they should draft somebody, um, you know, instead at quarterback next year. Um, you know, after what we've talked about in past episodes with him, I'm, I, that's one of my shocked, but not shocked thoughts when it comes to how people react to quarterbacking in the NFL. Lewis Riddick had a fascinating moment on television Monday or recording this on Tuesday where he talked about how NFL teams for the most part lack patience. Now at the quarterback position, um, I would remind people that while he may be a unicorn in certain regards, look at the Josh Allen situation. I think there are lessons to learn from Josh Allen and Buffalo that I hope NFL teams apply going forward. Because we know this is a copycat league, and we know that they're going to be like, oh, we have to do what Buffalo did, right? Maybe we'll just hire Brian Dable and have him work his magic. Well, that could work. But they also had patience. You know, they, they realized that, you know, they, they trusted their evaluation of Josh Allen. They trusted the talent they saw in him, and they didn't throw in the towel when they thought, we're a close team, we're a playoff team, but this guy might be holding us back. Let's just go get another quarterback and fix everything. They stuck by this guy, and look what happened this year. He's an MVP candidate. He might be the best quarterback in the league this season, and you don't do that if you give up on him. I think Miami is in an interesting circumstance, Matt, where they got here a year early. I don't think a lot of people expected Miami to be in in position to win a playoff spot in week 17 of the season, but that's where they are. But we've talked about how they had a plan for Tua. They were going to start him after the bye, and the fact that they were hot at the time didn't move them off that position. But when they got into this position of being competitive, they put the handcuffs on them. They put the training wheels on them. They didn't ask him to do a lot. They didn't ask him to read the med- read the middle of the field. They had him throw in RPOs and glances and stuff to the boundary, and they kept the training wheels on, which is what they felt like they had to do to win and be competitive, but it stunted his development. You know, you, you can't learn how to attack the middle of the field if you're not asked to do it. And so I think Miami fans need to take a step back and realize you're ahead of schedule. You know, does it suck from your perspective that you missed the playoffs? Yeah, obviously. Would have been great to get in. You might have won a game or two because of that defense. But think big picture. You know, this move to draft a quarterback at three, okay, that might be QB3. Is QB3 going to be that much better than a quarterback will now have a full, you know, offseason training regimen, got some NFL experience this year, and it's the guy that you drafted early last year? Like, you don't know that. You know, it's that family guy line. Well, a boat's a boat, but a box could be anything. The mystery box could even be a boat, you know? So have some patience. Relax with this a bit. Recognize that you're there a year early. Get him a Jamar Chase or Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddell at three or somebody else to help that team. And then see what you've got, because I think you'll be happy if you do that. So uh, patience, people. We live on a more broader picture here, we live in this society of instant gratification. We expect instant results. And if you run organizations that way, you are setting yourself up to fail. Yeah. I, I love this topic because first of all, who gives a fuck what other organizations do and what the NFL does to a certain extent, like to a certain extent, you have to basically, excuse my language, but that's basically where I feel about some of this is that you have to look at this and go, do you want to be better than them or do you want to be just like them? 
And I think the answer is, if you're really being honest with yourself, you want to be better. And that means you have to take the risk sometimes to do different. And that and that may mean, you know, you look at Josh Allen, you look at Lamar Jackson, both guys from the same draft class, both guys who got, um, you know, criticized for different things and for and for similar reasons in some respects, yeah. um, in some respects. And, you know, after the playoff game against the Chargers, I mean, I was in a room full of guys who were like, oh, he's no good. He can't throw. He's not, he's, he's done. They, we already know he's been found out. Really? Okay. You know, meanwhile, me and a few other people are looking at each other like, I got to get up and leave this room like right now. Um, But it's like, those are the types of things that, those are the types of things that, um, you know, people do because they're used to that mentality, like you said, of what is the what is the trend? The trend being the best thing, as opposed to knowing what the best thing is and dealing with it regardless of the trend. I mean, if we were just going to go by what was best for us and what makes the most sense, Mark would still be a lawyer. I'd still be managing call centers, probably. You probably. know, and and we'd probably also be a lot on less happier people. Um, as a result of that and you'd probably be less happy people as a result of that at least for the you know i don't know the handful of people that i can count on my hands and maybe a couple of toes here who listen to us on a regular basis but you know but with those seven people would be sad yeah exactly and we like helping those seven people you know and being a part of their lives in this manner but but with that including mark's mom you know, so <laughs> you ultimately know? Mark's mom, because believe me, I see the run sheet. We're going to be talking about her in a little bit. So, yeah, see, see, there you go. So, I mean, when you when you go from that perspective, I mean, the other thing is, I mean, it's about making decisions that are good long run. I mean, a good example of this to me isn't even about football, but I was listening to Teddy Atlas, the boxing trainer, and I I watch I listen to Mike Tyson's hot boxing podcast. I've listened to some of Joe Rogan's podcasts. Whenever I see boxing podcasts I, or with boxing um, athletes or trainers, I, I listen to them on occasion. And Teddy Atlas, years ago on Joe Rogan, gave this fantastic, just fantastic um, kind of like monologue about character and about Mike Tyson. And it was extremely nuanced from a guy who, when you listen to him talk, you'd think, you know, he's kind of a... Uh, you know, he, he's an old school guy who, you know, his education came from the school of hard knocks and he learned from Customato, the great trainer. But one of the things that he talked about was that, listen, you know, Mike Tyson, was he a great boxer? He, he was a great fighter. Yeah, he was a great fighter. He was the youngest ever to be the world champion. He was scary. He was devastating. He could do so many different things that few guys could do. But if I'm going to go to that extra level of greatness, because now we're in, we're talking about pro boxing, the greatest pro boxers and and guys who make a difference. Was he at that highest level? He's like, I'm going to say no, you know. And he's like, and sure, you may not like me because yes, I held a gun to his head because he pinched my 11 year old daughter's butt and said some things to her that made me decide I was going to defend my family. And Mike Tyson later apologized to him for and then you know, but he he was basically kicked out of the camp for doing that you know, with Mike Tyson. But he said, you can account all that. I understand. You may think I'm biased, whatever. He said, but what I'm, what I'm saying is Mike Tyson was the type of guy when he grew up, and this was not his fault, but in the, in the 
the family setting he had, the support system he had, he hid between buildings to stay away from bullies. He had, he always was finding a way out. And Customato gave him ways out when he started to misbehave that I didn't agree with. And then his entourages and management gave him ways out when he misbehaved and when he did things that he shouldn't have done. And you see where he wound up in his life. And if you ask Mike Tyson about his life, he would tell you that there were a lot of things unfulfilled with his life that he wished he was different um, in the way that he looked at it. Because he is, for all the th crazy things that went on in his life, he's also a very self-aware man now and, a, and, a, and one who reflects. And he's a very intelligent man. Um, wasn't wise, but he's gained some wisdom. And that's a very, he's a very, he's an unbelievable lesson about human nature. Um, and so he talks about that. And then he contrasts that with Evander Holyfield and says, Evander Holyfield had no way out because he had a firm disciplinarian as a parent, however you look at discipline, you know, but he he basically learned from his mother who was an old school um, disciplinarian that was like, you didn't, you couldn't quit. You had to fight through it and you had to work through challenges. And if, and if you misbehaved, you were going to pay for it. You know, and when you put those two fighters together, you saw the outcome. One looked for the way out and the other didn't, you know, and and you could see that. And when we talk about how this translates to NFL organizations, I think the problem is, is that they're more on the Mike Tyson run, which is like, oh, we've got something that is devastating and can like win now and, and we can make maximize our money now. Let's let's, you know, let's hop on that. And what you don't get is you don't get the long-lasting career. You don't get right. the you don't get something that's sustainable. And players see that. Players see that. You don't. I don't think there's a player on the Miami Dolphins who has a brain who would look at Tua and go, "He's not the answer." I think they would probably go, "He absolutely should be the answer." And if the Dolphins like shortchange him, to you know because talk radio or the internet or somebody people on tv are like well you know he didn't look good you know in his rookie season that was injury stunted and you know covid stunted should we you know we need to move on with somebody else that sends a message to the team that they need to like take shortcuts that they need to take shortcuts to be as good as they can. It's not about, oh, I'm on notice and I got to get better because what it is is you're saying an unrealistic short um, timeline. And now you're saying the timeline has to be shorter and now I've got to figure out ways to get there, which is going to lead to people cheating in a way in terms of cheating themselves and trying to, and as a result of that, people who can't be good enough on that timeline fast enough they're going to cheat themselves to try and get there and it's going to fall apart. It's yeah. it's going to absolutely fall apart. Even if they draft, say they draft someone this year and then it turns into like, you know, and they have a great season, a better season because he has a full year that Tua doesn't and he's just as talented as Tua, maybe even more talented than Tua. And they start off good. Well, that's great. But I can tell you this, if they don't support, if they don't shore up the things they need to and take their, the timeline that they planned on taking, It'll all fall apart around that guy. And then you're going to have a guy who's beaten up, who's now everyone's going to say he was a flash in the plant pan and that the Dolphins can't pick quarterbacks and that they're a crap organization and that they need to do the things that make sense that the long-term teams do well. And we're back at square one again, which is 
don't let the good teams don't listen to this kind of stuff. So I I find it hard to believe that they're going to draft another quarterback. Yeah, and I I think I want to sort of jump ahead here because we were going to talk about lessons from Lamar Jackson to Josh Allen. Yeah, do it. And I think this is a good time to talk about it. And you know, again, I, I think the lessons both in how those guys were handled and in the evaluation space as well are that scheme fit and landing spot absolutely matter. Like, period, full stop. Elite traits matter. And with obviously with Lamar Jackson, it's the athletic ability. Because, look, I just got done doing a video on his – the counter bash that they run and how no matter what you do as a defense, Lamar will make you wrong. It matters. And for Josh Allen, this is a lesson that I have talked about learning through him. Elite arm talent – matters like I, I think there are spectrums to the arm talent question there's a do you have an nfl sufficient arm yes joe burrow for example nfl sufficient arm. but if you're at that other end of the spectrum where you have just an absolute cannon and you can put the ball wherever you want however you want with supreme elite velocity that is going to bail you out of situations i used to think it would be more of a crutch but it's not and Josh Allen is a lesson from the evaluation process of that side of it, which is if you have a guy with an absolute howitzer, it's going to help their developmental process, provided the team that they go to ultimately has patience. Now, you look at the guys in this next class, I don't think we have any arm talent questions near the top. I mean, you know, Wilson checks the box. Lawrence checks the box. Fields checks the box. I mean, look at some of the throws that Justin Fields had against Clemson in a game that I thought – you know, if you go back and watch the show we did on Justin Fields last summer, can he sort of respond and read Brett Venables? Oh, boy, he certainly did. I mean, he made some throws in that game that are like, all right, well, I get it now. Trey Lance has the arm, and so I don't think you have a worry about that. But it matters. That arm talent matters. And then the patience thing. These teams played those guys early. Allen was basically a starter from week one. Jackson was a starter like midseason. And you have the Chargers loss, Jackson's rookie year. You have Allen throwing more picks as a rookie. And you might have people saying, no, they're just not it. Go draft another guy. Well, both of those teams made the playoffs next year. The Ravens were the number one seed. They were 14-2. and two. Josh Allen in year three is an MVP candidate. Do you think the Ravens are glad they stuck with those guys? Or do you think that there's somebody in one of those buildings that's like, yeah, you know, this has been fun the past couple of years, but maybe we should have just, you know, drafted Joe Burrow last year just because we could have, or, or, or drafted Justin Herbert because we could have, or drafted another quarterback in 2019, a Daniel Jones because he was on the board, or a Dwayne Haskins because, you know, we weren't sure about Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. I don't think anybody in those buildings is saying something like that right now. No, not at all. And I think it is about that investment time. And you, and you underscored it very well about Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, which is you need to be a patient organization for them. So if you're going to, when we start talking about every year's draft class and how you apply that, when people ask, well, what do you think about this player? He's just an arm talent. You know, what does that mean? Well, yes, he's more volatile. He has a more volatile upside and downside for you based on where he lands. So it's going right. to talk. So it, it, that's the volatility is worse with where he lands. But at the same time, you know, you have to understand too that, you know, if you have the right team, that patience is so valuable. And I think that what we learn too is, um, you know, what do you, 
what are you trying to do as a as a team? You know, what is this tells you a lot about the GMs of teams too, and right. the ownership of teams because if the ownership is, you, you know, if the ownership is known to being um, volatile in their decision making, like just changing directions back and forth, then you're looking at one of two things: either they didn't like this pick but decided to go along with it. And the GM and the coach and the player is pro- are probably going to be gone in three years if they don't have instant success, um, or that that team has finally figured that owner has po- finally figured out that how he wanted to do it made no sense at all, and he's going to listen to other people. Um, right. So you know, again, still kind of a fifty-fifty unknown proposition from that standpoint, but still worthwhile that these are things to to consider when you're valuing. Um, players from a fantasy perspective, you know, in terms of how you're going to look at, or as a fan. Now, if you're just going to evaluate talent, you don't pay attention to any of that. Right. You just you just say, I think this guy has the talent, and I, and you look and you go the arm. If in the right situation, he could be very good. I mean, I think we both looked at Josh Allen, and while from year to year we probably looked at him and said, well, it's not looking great here. This isn't looking good. We're going to need to see these things next year. Are we going to see this progress? Here's some progress that we did see. I think both of us, when we evaluate him, were like, give him two to three years of patience with it, and you can see a starting quarterback in this league and a good one. You know, he's exceeded my expectations for sure. Mine too, absolutely. But look at, you know, John Elway. I mean, I remember, remember, listen, my dad was a huge John Elway fan. I grew up um, going to Denver in the summers, and all I would hear about every day on the news was Denver Broncos training camp and John Elway and what, you know, and it was like listening to Josh Allen all over again. I mean, listening to Josh Allen was like listening to John Elway training camp all over again when I first heard about Allen. Um, but I remember Terry Bradshaw just basically excoriating John Elway as a rookie and basically right. making him out to be like, he wasn't worth anything. Um, you know, early in his career, Brett Favre, another arm guy, talent guy. You know, it's true. I mean, if you have, if you, you know, your points about arm talent are, are, I think, are very worthwhile. You just have to figure out for yourself as an evaluator how you put that into perspective, like right. where you rate that and where you rate that, and it always depends on who the other guys are and where they're gonna, yeah. where they're gonna fit. So, you know, if you're a guy who's looking at rankings, you may see. Someone like Mark or I put Josh Allen fourth on a list where he could easily be number one. But you have to understand that, well, what are we doing? Are we playing the odds? Are we looking at the volatility of the situation? You know, if he ends up on your team, you, you know, you at least know what you're looking for what you're and what you need to be careful of. Um, right. And that's all you can really do. Yeah. I mean, look, the quarterback evaluation, it's an inexact art at best. It's an art, not a science. Teams get it wrong all the time. You just, you know, if you're a fan of a team, let's look, you look at this draft, Jacksonville, the Jets, Carolina, Atlanta, there are going to be a lot of teams thinking about their, you know, a lot of fans thinking about their team taking a quarterback. Your team might get it wrong, you know, but when your team, if they do make that decision, look at all that's written about that player, you know, take it all into account and try to imagine is that organization built to have success around that player? And with that player's weaknesses, whatever they are, is that organization built to minimize those the best way possible? 
Well, you mentioned one of them, so let's talk about them. The Jets. Yeah. What do you think? What should they be doing at number two? How do you feel about that? I, I don't know. I mean, I can understand why Jets fans, after three years of Sam Darnold at this point, are like, let's move on. You know, it hasn't worked out. And I can understand why they would feel that way. I could understand their frustrations. I could understand why they might watch a Justin Fields against Clemson and say, give me that guy. Give me the mock-up of him in the uniform. Give me that Photoshop right now. It's now my lock screen on my phone. Like, I I, I understand that. Um, but it also gets into what we were just talking about with the organizational patience. Like, did the Jets put Sam Darnold in a position to be successful? He had one year as a rookie under Todd Bowles. Now two years with Adam Gase, who has this reputation as a quarterback guru whisperer that is crafted upon the back of Peyton Manning's final ride in Denver. Like, I, I've said it before, if he's a quarterback whisperer, then so are my cats. Because my <laughs> cats could have made Peyton Manning look great and gotten that same reputation. So if you think as an organization that that is enough to truly evaluate and develop Sam Darnold, well, then okay. Um, then move on. And that's fine because in some sense, you know, getting a rookie quarterback in, quarterback might be one or two on your board because you're picking second, um, and maybe getting that player in is, is what you want to do. And, and okay, that's fine. I understand that. But there are other things you can do. This is a quarterback needy draft. There will be teams that would love to come up and pay you a king's ransom for that second overall pick. And if you slide back to three, to four, to five, to six, you will still get a very good player in addition to all of that stuff that you will acquire in that trade. You know, you could draft a wide receiver. You could pair Denzel Mims with Devonta Smith, with Waddle, with Jamar Chase, with Rashad Bateman, whoever you like to put with that player. And that's a tremendous situation for Sam Darnold. You could put Kyle Pitts there. I love Kyle Pitts, the Florida tight end. You could do that. I've even, some people, even seen some people say, draft the tackle from Oregon. Yes, he's been a left tackle, but he's raw. You know, you have Makai Becton and Penny Sewell as your bookend tackles for the next 10 years. It doesn't matter who your quarterback is. You're probably going to be pretty good. So there are different pathways for the Jets right now. And this is why, you know, the head coach hiring is going to be critical. And it might give us that window into how they're leaning. Because if they hire a Joe Brady, if they hire a Brian Dable, if they hire some other insert offensive mind here type of guy, you know what they're probably going to do, and it's probably going to be drafting a quarterback because they're going to want to develop that guy. If they if they steal Ryan Day away from Ohio State, you know what they're going to do. It's going to be they're going to draft Justin Fields. But if it's Robert Sala, if it's Matt Eberflus, if it's somebody else, more of a defensive-minded guy, then they might be giving serious credence to, we're going to try to run this back with Donald. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they hire a Dable and say, you're going to fix Sam Donald. You did it for one quarterback in that 2018 class. Now do it for another. Um, but I'm just saying they have multiple pathways to get this right. They don't have to force a quarterback pick. If they fall in love with a guy and he's there too, then sure, do it. But you don't have to. Yeah. Well, unless you have to live in New York. So here's the well, thing. Because yeah. if you, know, cause if you li have to live in New York and you're thin-skinned, or even if you're like um, thick-skinned but don't have Teflon skin, um, as maybe the owner of – the New York Jets may feel is that maybe these are the types of things that they care about too much. And this is why the Jets are where they are. Um, you know, but ultimately I, I'm with you. I totally agree with you. I think that it would be nice to see them 
do something different than draft a quarterback. They have a salvageable quarterback in Sam yeah. Darnold. Salvageable. Absolutely. Salvageable. And salvageable means, think about, would would the Tennessee Titans be one another quarterback right now? I don't think so. I think they'd be happy. Right. with They're happy with Ryan Tannehill. And Ryan Tannehill isn't, you know, an elite quarterback, but he's certainly putting up stats and producing in games at levels that he can do more than just manage the football game. And he's a guy that was salvaged, you know. I think that there, and there are multiple examples of players who were salvaged. Rich Gannon was a salvaged player, um, right. you know, for sure. So, you know, I, I think that you have to seriously consider, are you trying to build a team for the long term here? You know, for the next three to five years and then be able to leverage off of that and put yourself in a good situation. And at some point, you're going to have to go through some difficult times where you're not just looking for the quick answer because that whole looking for the quick answer is basically just thrashing around in the water as you're drowning as opposed to, you know, actually trying to stay calm. And and I think that the points that you raise about what the Jets have on their offensive line what they what they can do, you know, to leverage more talent in terms of the draft, um, and build it. And I'm I'm a proponent of I've I've said this many times on this show. Build the trenches, add your skill players after that, um, and the last thing can be your quarterback. If you can get your if you can get the window opened up, you know, with those trench players, and and a good defense, and you have a and you have a good offensive line, a lot of aging quarterbacks would look at that situation and go, I can put you in a window right now, and you can draft a quarterback, and I can, I can help you with that quarterback over the next couple of years. You know, yeah. I mean, imagine if they do fortify that line, and and then they get a quarterback like, you know, Matt Stafford or an aging Matt Ryan or somebody yeah. like that and say, Listen, we're going to help the wide receiver room out because the quarterback's going to show them what they should really expect. We're going to help the, you know, we're going to be able to help out um, the offensive line and what the quarterback expects there from the relationships in terms of what the pocket should look like, in terms of, you know, calls and things like that. They're going to be able to speed up that kind of rapport process and on field um, communication that happens and how everyone should expect to do things. And that will make things easier rather than having a young quarterback have to learn that with a team, you, right. you know? So if, you know, that's the benefit of all that. So I'm with you totally on that. What about on the other end, Cleveland seems to be figuring out like, Hey, Baker Mayfield, like I'm, you know, listen, he was an example of a guy. I wish that they kind of, you know, moved on from, but and I still, you know, I still would like to see a better quarterback in terms of like who can handle a game. But Baker may emerge into that. So, but they've built from the, they're building in the trenches. We've seen that, and they they finally figured that out after giving up some guys to the Giants and and yep. the, and moving on. They've gone back to let's build in the trenches. Let's start there. Our running game's our strength. We're not going to listen to everybody saying you've got to spread the field and you've got to be a you know, you, you running the ball is stupid. You know, well, the Browns have pretty much shown that running the ball isn't so stupid after all. Um, if you've got two great running backs and an awesome right. offensive line. So, and didn't seem like that was too hard for them to achieve. Um, right. So, but now 
they have something that a lot of people have unfortunately had, and that's COVID with their head coach, um, with their coaching staff. What does that mean for um, the playoffs right now? What, do, what does that mean for I, them? I don't know. I mean, we don't know. And we're recording this on Tuesday. We don't know how much worse it could potentially get over the next 72 hours. I mean, right now we're, it's Stefanski. He's positive. He's good. He can apparently work virtually with the team this week, but can't coach them. Um, Bettino, another offensive lineman, he's positive. And as you just talked about, this is a team that built through the trenches. Well, one of your players is now out. I, I don't know. This is one of those moments where you wonder why it was handled this way. And we've, we both talked earlier this year about how we were unsure of the league being able to get the full season in, but they forged ahead. Um, there were some bumps along the way, but they got it done. But then they decided not to have a bubble, and apparently the decision was made that they thought if they bubbled and then you still had COVID get in, then forget it. Like, a team's just wiped out, and so they didn't do that because of the risk. Well, you're seeing what the risk was now. That puts Cleveland in an absolutely brutal situation. Now, what might help is this is the third time you've seen Pittsburgh this year. You know, so it's not like – you have you're building a game plan from scratch. It's not a situation where you haven't seen this team. You're trying to do all that work. You're trying to get all that advanced scouting done. You're trying to piece together a great game plan and get it installed. You just played this team, and and granted, Pittsburgh sat some guys down, but you know what to expect. You know, there's familiarity there. You could probably play this game right now and have 95% of your game plan installed because of the carryover from last week and the fact it's the third game. So. It's not the worst situation for Cleveland, but certainly nowhere close to the best. No, it's not. But I'll take a more optimistic view. Maybe the, it's the homer in me. Maybe not. But, I, but I'll but i look at it this way, is that they've had 17 weeks of Stefanski. Right. And so they know what the program is. They know what's supposed to get done every day. They know how it's going to get done every day. If they don't freak out about it and approach it like they've approached every other week and then just have feedback from Stefanski in terms of here's some wrinkles I'd like to see you guys put in you know let's use some of these wrinkles now things that can happen on the field that might make a big difference where Stefanski might be able to make a call here and there absolutely now my question would be how often does that happen you know um with some coaches it probably happens a lot with others who are just kind of more managers overall it might not happen as much um, as you would think. So, uh, you know, the, to me, the offensive line is a little bit more of a concern. But then again, you have two great backs who are also very good. As I was talking with uh, Brandon earlier today, Brandon Thorne earlier today, they're good at helping blockers, uh, you know, reach their men in some yeah. ways where, when they screw up or they can't get there at first. So, you know, this is a team that I think, and like you said, they're playing a familiar opponent. So, you know, I think there's a chance that they could. This could be a, a better situation than it looks, less dire than it than it seems. And and if it doesn't work out again, the Cleveland Browns made the playoffs this year. Yeah. Cleveland Browns have an offensive line to build on. They have a running game to build on. They have a quarterback who did not get worse. He actually started to make small strides to get better. Um, maybe even bigger strides than I'm giving him credit for. But um, from what I've seen, at le- at the very least, he's at least He's at least escaped the whirlpool suck 
You know, yeah. he's he so he's he's certainly been able to climb out of the tailspin he was on. You know, there's some promise there to build on. The fact that the Cleveland Browns did this in year one under their head coach. Look, man, within within a couple of years, we could be talking about the Browns, the Bills, and the Chiefs, you know, as the teams to beat. In the, you know, with this, depending on how they manage this, and I think they can. So, you know, speaking of AFC North teams, AJ Green, where does he go? Does it matter to you? I don't think it matters to me so much. I mean, I think there will be some interest in potential landing spots. I know the Giants might be one. I know the Lions might be one, depending on what they decide to do with Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay. Um, I would ban the table a bit for New England. Um, but I do think that, that there is still a wide receiver there that can help an organization with a lot of the things that you talked about. You know, you mentioned the possibility of a veteran quarterback coming into a situation and being a teacher just as much as being a player on the field. And I think A.J. Green can do that. I think if you're an organization with a young wide receiver room, whether it's, you know, you look at perhaps Arizona or, you know, New England or some of these other teams where – you might be relying on some younger players to make contributions, Minnesota. This might be the type of player that could say, okay, look, you guys are really good, but this concept, this is what you might need to do. This coverage, this is where you might need to be. This is when you need to flash your eyes on this route. Um, so in a sense, I, there are some ideal landing spots, but he's the kind of player I think that has a year or two left where he can be beneficial to any NFL roster. Yeah, I agree. I think he can be too. And I think those are teams that you mentioned are good ones. I, I'll add Houston to the mix as another yeah. team. I think they could use a veteran receiver who can, um, you know, provide for them inside, outside. And I think AJ Green can give them both, um, both of those components to his game. So yeah, I like what you had to say with that one. Let's move on real quick. Tyler Dunn's article. He, he wrote about Jonathan Taylor, and I talked about this again in the last podcast a little bit. But I just thought it was a wonderful piece because it was entertaining, but it also did a great job of highlighting the intricacies between player and off running back and offensive line and what they have to learn. But more so also speaking of coaching up players, Jordan Wilkins, the, you know, there, he was featured heavily in this piece and he talked about, you know, how he, you know, Taylor gave him credit, I believe. And the team gave Wilkins credit for basically sitting Taylor down and saying, listen, you're an unbelievable talent. You need to stop thinking so much and trying to be perfect with everything and, you know, play your game. And Jordan Wilkins, if you watch him closely, if he had speed, he'd probably be closer to Jonathan Taylor. He is a very smart running back with great vision, good contact balance, um, excellent cutting ability and, and decent burst who could be, you know, he could be a starter for you if you needed him. You know, he's not the ideal back in that regard, but he could be good enough. Like you put him on a good team. You put him on the Titans right now. If the Titans lost Derrick Henry and said, we got to go with Jordan Wilkins, Jordan Wilkins could give you 1300 yards. He's that good. So the fact that he's like saying, look, man, I'm costing me opportunities, but you're too good. You need to know these things. You need to, you need to kind of get some perspective on that. It helps you understand like how players can overthink early on. And we can get soup again, Patience. We get super impatient. I'm hearing like by week six, I'm hearing, is he Trent Richardson? Is right. he, you know, is is he awful? 
You know, and then now we're looking at him at the end of the season and it's like, this is the Jonathan Taylor we were expecting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think my main takeaway is that there are people that do what we do that are so incredibly good at what they do. And Tyler is one of them. I mean, he, he yeah. does the lawn read, the lawn form. I mean, Go Lawn TD is the name of his site. And he, he crushed this piece. Like, he crushes so many of his pieces. Um, I, I think the main thing, well, two main things from reading this. One, the sort of intricacies of running back play, which I know you do a tremendous job in your work highlighting. Um, but setting up blocks, you know, the cohesion between a running back and his offensive line. You know, Tyler gets into that a bit, and I think it's really well done. And I also think the the ability of some athletes to be selfless, like we talked about with Jordan Wilkins there. It's a hard thing to do. It is not easy to be an athlete at any level and have to help your replacement. And sometimes, whether it's the Baltimore Ravens when they drafted Lamar Jackson, whether it's the Indianapolis Colts with Wilkins, whether it's a Division three quarterback in his senior year that knows that the incoming freshman is going to be the starter someday and you are now QB3. Like, it's hard to do that. Um, and some people handle it well. Some people don't. Um, Jordan Wilkins handles it well. And the team is better as a result of that. And it's one of those things that we don't often get a chance to appreciate because we might not even hear about it. You know, maybe with a quarterback you do, but with an offensive tackle, a running back, a, you know, a strong safety, you might not. So this was a wonderful piece in that it did that. It gave readers the insight into the locker room situation, the dynamic between a more established player and a rookie and having to sort of swallow your pride and say, look, what's best for the team is what's going to be best for you and not me, but that's okay. Yeah. And in the long term, you know, you have to, you have to think longer term, you know, and understand that while it may not pan out this way um, in the NFL for you, but if you're Jordan Wilkins, at best, another NFL team's going to learn about this. Yep. They're going to see that and they're going to say, "This is the type of guy we want on our team." Yep. And we can, and you can have a he could have a long career as a backup, who occasionally gets starter opportunities, and and gets to perform. And that's and that's a nice and, career. And I will say this right now: if ten years from now we're not talking about Jordan Wilkins as the next perhaps Eric Bieniemy has become a running backs coach and is now working his way to become an offensive coordinator, I'd be stunned yeah. because that's the kind of person that you think this guy's got a second act in coaching. Definitely. Yeah. You know, from reading this piece. Yeah. Or wherever else he is in the world, because somebody right. else is going to recommend him and say, this is the type of guy you want working with you. Yeah. Working Doesn't matter for what you, it whatever it is, you know, and that's important. You got to understand the long game that way. And I think that's the whole thing about this is that, and probably maybe the theme of this show is, that the long the, the long game's more important. I mean, even like yeah. that whole Teddy Atlas thing with with Tyson. I mean, he was saying, would have Tyson have maybe gotten to where he was if he did it the if Customato did things the way I saw it? Because Cuss said that Cuss said it on his deathbed. Apparently, he said Rooney was right. I mean, not um, Teddy Atlas was right in terms of how I should have handled him. Um, but at the same time, he might not have gotten where he would have gone if he did. Or he might have it might have taken him longer. He had to go another way. But honestly, I would say if you were Mike Tyson, and you, you if you didn't have to go to prison, if you didn't have to deal with debt, if 
You didn't have to deal with a lot of things that he dealt with or he was able to address some of those things earlier. Might have been a happier Mike Tyson. Um, yeah. Might have been, you know, but, you know, that's a hard thing. You know, now we're playing that whole game of what if, you know, that's that's difficult. But it's that, it's that thing is that, you know, uh, doing it the right way sometimes takes a little longer, but it can be worth it. So we had some rookies who didn't shine as much this year. You know, they weren't Jonathan Taylor. They weren't um, Jordan, Je- you know, Justin Jefferson. They weren't Josh- Justin Herbert. You know, who are some of those guys this year that um, that you think um, will shine more next? Yeah, and this is sort of an interesting one to debate because we've talked a little bit about Tua, so I don't want to go down that road again. Um, he flashed at times, but CeeDee Lamb, I think, when you get a healthy Dak Prescott back, he's obviously going to have a better 2021 Um, because he struggled at times a guy I think that was you know he eventually sort of started to figure it out but playing linebacker in today's NFL is tough and Patrick Queen was putting some bad spots at times and he might be putting some more bad spots this week and trying to stop Derrick Henry you know I was just watching that team you know that game this season earlier this year when you know that Titans run game does so much to sort of stress the linebackers and what they're taught to do from a run fit perspective and trying to figure things out and trying to get the guys in front of you to be right by adjusting to what they do if they dip into the wrong gap or something. So, you know, a bit of a struggle there. Um, but I think Patrick Queen is going to be a good linebacker in the National Football League. Jalen Rager, you know, we know the situation in Philadelphia right now. Um, it doesn't look good at least with how that season is unfolding. And now you're hearing about Carson Wentz being unhappy. Um, so I expect to see perhaps better things from him if they get stable quarterback play from whoever that player is in 2021. And the other name that I would sort of throw out there is Jerry Judy. I think Jerry Judy gets open all the time. And sometimes for rookie receivers in the NFL, that's the toughest part. You know, drops are noisy. You know, our mutual friend Matt Harmon has written a ton and talked a ton about how drops are noise. Like, don't worry about them. If a guy's getting open, the catches are going to come. Amari Cooper, right? Fantastic route runner coming out of uh, out of Alabama. A guy that gave you the full route tree. We've talked how, you know, you don't need the full route tree as a rookie wide receiver to be a, an impactful player. But it was that sort of elite trait that set him apart. And he was always open, but he was struggling with the drops. That's worked itself out in the past couple of years. So, Jerry Judy, if you're anxious about him, you probably shouldn't be. So, those are my guys. What about you? Devin Asiasi, Patriots. I think that he's a guy that, um, you know, will get more opportunities. Um, yeah. And I think he's, as we saw this past weekend, tracks the ball well, athletic. He's even better after the catch if you get an opportunity to see him in that regard. And I think he has potential to be um, – in every down tight end. So it's going to be interesting to see his development. Quintez Cephas, a guy I've been banging the drum on a lot. Um, he continues to make plays. He's been that kind of on that slow burn track where they've, they've just simmered him. You know, they, they keep him in the lineup. He's in the lineup on a regular basis. They give him selected looks and he seems to get success with those looks that they give him. Um, so, and I think you haven't seen the best of him at, at, at all. And I think right. you're you're going to get a chance at that. Adam Trotman, we've talked about a lot. He's another oh, one that another one. you know yeah. he he every time he's on the field and gets opportunities, he looks good. Um, so that's another one. I agree with you about C.D. Lamb. I think C.D. Lamb. I mean, C.D. Lamb was a top twelve fantasy player when Dak Prescott was in the lineup. You know, yeah. it, it, he and he looks absolutely spectacular. We just haven't seen um, 
enough. He hasn't just had enough opportunities. So those are guys that like just, you know, are off the top of my head right away. So let's touch on a little bit on the playoffs. Who's who's hot heading into the playoffs? Team, player, or unit? Anybody that I mean, you? Buffalo is the easy call there, right? I mean, yeah. they they look great. Um, Josh Allen looks great. Um, some of the throws he made against Miami, man. I I just, I mean, come on. Um, it's it's the whole this freaking guy syndrome now. We used to talk about that with Mahomes, where you just you throw up your hands, this freaking guy, you can't do anything about it. Allen sort of approached that. Um, dare we say, and this is an interesting question: Was this a side of what's to come from New Orleans, or just a get-right game against a bad defense? Because Drew Brees was struggling to throw some seam routes against Minnesota a couple weeks ago. Wasn't sure he was healthy. Looked a little bit better against Carolina. And with that defense, that could be a very tough team to play. So, you know, we might know more. Obviously, they play, you know, Chicago this weekend. But perhaps a little bit of a get-right game for them. But those are my picks. What about you? Yeah, because if he and Emmanuel Sanders can get on it, then they seem to have a little bit. That's the type of – I think the playoffs, there's a little more one-on-one going on or maybe like selected players where you kind of go to them. And yeah. find what, and I think Emmanuel Sanders is that kind of player. He might yet still be a factor in, in the way that thought maybe earlier in the season. But a team where that's hat clicking right now all season long, Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, oh, just yeah. just I mean, I know it's an obvious answer, I guess, but it's just like they're playing hot. They can run the football. They certainly have the the passing game to be able to and both those guys are healthy heading into the season, you know, the postseason. I expect to see some huge games with Rodgers and Devontae Adams and games, I mean plural, that they'll, yeah. you know, to have an opportunity there. So yeah. They don't feel one and done to me at all. No, no, not remotely. Even if the defense is suspect at times, yeah. you know. And, and the defense has gotten better down the stretch too, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So who's not hot? Who's cold heading into the, into the playoffs? I, I, I hate to say it, but this is sort of the inverse of what we were just talking about, because in a similar way, this team's defense has started to figure it out. They had a big acquisition that has helped them get the pass rush going. They got a safety that can, they can do some, a bunch of different things with, but the Seattle Seahawks, that, yeah. that offense has been a bit shaky in recent weeks. And, you know, I don't know if it's just a factor that you're playing some familiar teams because they're playing, you know, the, the Rams twice in that sort of stretch that the, there's two good defenses that, in the Rams that you're playing, obviously San Francisco, you know, say what you want about the offensive side of the ball in San Francisco, but that is a team that is playing to get Robert Sala a head coaching job. You know, Richard Sherman has been openly campaigning for him to get a head coaching job. That defense is still very good, and they gave Russell some struggles this even this past week. And so, you know, you could attribute it to that, but this has been a simmering thing for a little while now. And so you start to wonder just how good is that offense, particularly if, you know, the recipe for Seattle has always been, let Russell figure it out and you'll be okay. I'm yeah. not so sure about that right now. It's a good question. And, you know, as a, someone who's followed the Seahawks a good bit, I mean, I feel like the Seahawks are analogous to those TVs we had in the 70s and early 80s where it, in the picture would get fuzzy and you could literally walk over it and hit it. And then yeah. the, this, the, the picture would come clear and it would stay clear for a while. And I feel like the Seattle team, ever since Pete Carroll has been there, there's something about that team that in the first couple of quarters, the picture's fuzzy and then it takes hitting the the side of the TV. And, and sometimes it was kind of funny because 
you know, I don't know about you, but in, in my family, it was like, it didn't matter whether it was the adult or kid hitting the TV. It was whoever could hit it right. You know, right. like, so it could be, you, you could have like a, you know, a 50 year old engineer in your household. You could have a, a you know, you could have a, a lawyer for a mom in your household, or you could have, you know, the three, the four-year-old and the four-year-old, if he just hit that thing just right and the TV stayed on, it was like, they tell the little four-year-old to come out and, hey, do that thing you do to the TV. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of feel like we're, we're that way with Seattle, which is right. kind of a tough deal because that means if you're thinking that, that means they're just not the most reliable team. So I understand. I, I get the fear there. Uh, Pittsburgh's an easy answer. Um, yeah. You know, that offensive line doesn't look good. The running game so-so. Um, you know, I think that the, the the receiving game has been found out a little bit and you can game plan on it a little bit more than what you were able to do earlier in the season. Um, so as a result of that, it puts more stress on the defense. And while the defense is good, um, you know, there are things that you can do. And when you look at like, you look at all the teams that are in the in the AFC, most of them can run on you even with like good defenses. Right. Um, so I think the Steelers are like, you know, I think Steelers at best are a two and done team in the, in this, and, and they could be one and done this week, even against Cleveland. So yeah. that's where I'm at with that. So we got a little bit of time left. And one of the things that was kind of funny last week, and my wife listened to this and laughed was when I basically compared her to Bernie Mac and said that she was basically, you know, Bernie Mac's twin, or I married Bernie Mac. Right. So, Mark, you know, she was kind of deciding that she wasn't sure she wanted to share this with me. But later in the week, she was still watching some Bernie Mac episodes off and on when she had time. And and she's like, I need you to see an episode because it's funny as all get out. You're going to laugh. And, and and it's something that, like, strikes a chord. I was been debating whether you should see it. So in one of the episodes, Bernie Mac's sister comes to... um to, to the you know shows up and they have her over the house and of course she's doing things in a way or talk giving the kids advice in ways differently than what the what bernie mac's doing and it's leading to all sorts of hilarity but she starts talking about bernie mac when they were kids and how she um how that he how big mama gave big bernie mac a nickname and so i'm just gonna say my wife um my wife has like cute little ears to me like she has smaller ears like she doesn't have really little ears but compared to someone like me who's probably going to be like an elephant by the time I'm 70 um, because I look at like my grandparents and I look at their ears and I think yeah I probably have their ears um it, you know she, she I call I joke around that she I call her little ears especially when she doesn't listen to me about something and she's like actively not paying attention to me and like just like and I'm like, yeah, it's because you didn't hear me because you got those little ears. You're not paying attention to me. You can't even hear me. And so, yeah. So basically on the Bernie Mac show, apparently Bernie Mac's nickname as a kid was Little Ears. So so when I saw that, I laughed. So obviously I started thinking about that. And I'm thinking about now that you're getting older, you know, I just shared you mine is that most likely I'm going to need these big, I have these big things so that I can hide my, my um elephant ears or my ears that will grow into elephant ears within the next 20 years um what are some things you see in your parents appearance wise that you probably can look forward to happening to you 
Right. Well, you know, what's interesting, Matt, is I just I did get to see my parents with a little driveway socially distanced birthday um, this past weekend um, out in the driveway. Um, the weather was kind of nice that day. We were able to spend a little time together, masks on and everything. Um, I'm grateful in a sense that they look great. My parents look great. Um, they, they've been doing the whole Peloton thing. Um, they've been working out. Um, they got their favorite Peloton instructors. So I, I think I'm pretty good from a sort of health perspective going forward. Um, my mom has got some great skin. My dad, you know, in his seventies, got the full on head of hair. looks like a beetle, like the day he got married. Um, so I'm not too worried about the hair, but I will say, um, one thing that I have noticed, and it has kind of been, been a problem for me, um, mostly in the younger days, but still to this day. Mom, I instigated this, so. Yeah, well, yeah. it's not so much for her, really, but okay. it was from her dad. Okay. Um, my, my grandfather, Ray, um, you can see, you know, his World War II medals over my shoulder there, his D-Day medal and all that. He was an Italian boy, um, grew up loving soccer. I got his big, my big calves are from him but so too are my stumpy legs. <laughs> I am all torso and upper body. And those stumpy legs were a problem, especially, you know, obviously when I was trying to get, you know, the, 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 you know, division one double a schools to pay attention to me. But now as gravity starts to rear its ugly head on me and five ten has become five, nine and now almost five, eight. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to become lower to the ground Man, I can't do a lot around the house anymore. Shelves, reaching for things. Like we keep um, the bottle of the adult beverages that I type sometimes, you know, reach for at the end of the day um, above the refrigerator. I'm starting to shop for, you know, step stools and things like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's it's my grandfather's and then my mom's and now into me. Um, the short legs. And the other thing I will say, since I'm trying to embarrass myself even more, I don't know where this comes from. Um, it might just be a factor of getting older. But I remember as a kid, we used to go to this barber shop, Wall X Barbers or something like that. Um, it was right by the Little League field. They had these two guys, Charlie and Mark. Um, and, and, as a matter of fact, my parents, you know, when they go back home, they still go in there because my dad wants to get a haircut from one of the two guys there. But they also had a female barber. Um, and there was one day I was in there with my dad waiting for a haircut. And this older guy is just got his haircut, but he's trying to leave. And the female barber comes over some clip and she's like, no, 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 you're not done. It takes care of the nose hair. It takes care of the ear hair. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, that, that's weird. Then I turned 40, man. <laughs> I've got two different kinds of like nose trimmers, ear trimmers. I've, I've got them in my bathroom and I'm using them more than I care to admit. That and one last thing, which this was a gift to me for my wife for Christmas two years ago, part of my uh, stocking stuffer. And I'm holding it up for everybody to watch to see on News Channel 8, the back scratcher. Uh, the back scratcher is, a, is mana from the gods, my friend, the older I get. So there, now that I've fully embarrassed myself, let's talk, I guess, New Year's resolutions. That's what's next. <laughs> well, first, we, first of all, now that I know that you are um, on your way to becoming Cotton Hill from King of the Hill... <laughs> <laughs> and I, I need to know your daughter's name again because we what's your daughter's Simone. name? Simone. Simone. So now you're gonna be like Simone's husband. 
come over here, you know? Right, you right, know? yeah. yeah that's <laughs> so, the thing. I, I, I can't get him, the fridge. Instead of calling him James or, like, Sonny or whatever his name's going to be, his real right. name is, you'll just be Simone's husband. Yeah. 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 You know, back in, you know. But, um, no, that's funny. Yeah, I can understand. Um, the eye, The eyebrows for me, I have a feeling like, Right, this could happen to me very quickly. I, I get one eye, one eyebrow hair like every three months. That's suddenly like, yeah, it goes across the forehead, and I gotta pluck that bad boy out. But, yeah, I've ooh. I've seen. I had a I had a journalism professor once who had some of those that look like cat whiskers. You know, yeah, and like you 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 kind of like you kind of feel like the wide receiver who does the step back at the jam when you hold your hand out to shake his hand. Cause you're afraid he might poke your eye out with those things. Yeah. You know, that's kind of that, that's a, that's a technique that, you know, that's crazy. But yeah. Do you do new year's resolutions? I do. Um, and I'm actually, I've done them differently this year. Cause most years for me, it's the same resolution. It's just be better be a better husband, be a better father, be a better son, be a better friend, be a better worker, like colleague, all that stuff. Just a generalized, like, I want to be better. Not so much like I'm going to specifically lose weight or exercise more, some of that stuff, because that's stuff I'm on. It's just, I want to be better. And I try to do that. And that's been literally for the past like 15 years, like my stock New Year's resolution. But 2020 has been different. And as such, mine are a little bit different this year grace and gratitude. I want to approach days with grace a bit more um, because everybody you account encounter right now, and this is something that I think people should just do generally, but given 2020, you know, you don't know what that person you're dealing with is going through. You know, if it's somebody you might encounter at a store or somebody that cuts you off in traffic or another family member, um, you might not know everything, but you know, generally right now that they're, they're going through it. Um, because this has been a tough year and it continues to be a tough year here in 2021, you know, for everybody that thought that was going to be the magical fix when the ball dropped, I just will gesture in the vague direction of everything and say, no, no, it's, it's going to remain difficult for people. And so uh, I'm going to try to approach things, whether it's in my everyday life on Twitter, elsewhere with a bit more grace and gratitude um, because I'm an incredibly lucky human being. Um, and I try to say that as much as I can, but I probably still don't say it enough. Um, because there are people that have it much, 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 much tougher than me. Absolutely much tougher than me. Even as hard as this year has been, I get to do what I do and I still get to do what I do. And my family is healthy. My loved ones are for the most part healthy. Um, there are people that had empty tables and empty chairs at their holiday gatherings, at their Thanksgiving gatherings. There are people that had empty zoom screens. Um, because people did not get through 2020 and I'm trying to be a bit more, you know, aware of that, of just how lucky I have it as me, Mark Schofield, upper middle-class white dude in this country in 2021. Like there are a lot of people much worse off than me. And I am going to try to, you know, live in a way that sort of reflects that. I think that's a fantastic message. And obviously I don't think there's anything that I could add to that other than just echo it and, and say, um, I certainly have all year been feeling that level of gratitude um, from the beginning, even from like getting interviewed by, a, by a, um, a major media football site and asking me about the draft and how I was going to be worried about it. And I was, and, and whether, 
things have worked out and they've they had thanks to you listening here i mean um you know i'm very thankful for all of you who listen and, and subscribe to what um you know to the product that i put out so that i can continue to make a living doing this um and the and be able to even help family members that i've had um who struggled a little bit here and there due to you know other or and not even other people in our lives where like you know we had folks renting our house that in athens who were students and you know they're sitting there talking about in march last year april i can't you know they're on their facebook page talking about how you know they're they're grad students and can't can't even get enough work because everything's being shut down that they they worked five hours last week they would have worked 50 if they had the chance even though you know things were difficult and they were worried about the danger of all of it they would have done that and wondering and for us to be able to be in a position to be able to say you don't need to you don't need to pay rent for the next three months like you know we know you're leaving in the next three months anyway you don't have to pay rent just pay your utilities and find a way to do that and go on you know wouldn't have been able to do that wouldn't have been able to be as understanding maybe with other people if it weren't for the fact that you know people were as supportive as they were with the work that goes on here um and that the nfl was and being great great being happy that the nfl was able to go on and do what they did and they handled it well you know for the most part so you know when i look back on this so there's a lot of that and it is about just having a conscious attitude to know that we're in difficult times and to be understanding that people are in that difficult situation i'm going to take it another direction though it does take energy to um, put that kind of positive attitude and grateful attitude out there in the world. And it's good energy because you get it back in return. It's very worthwhile for that to happen. So there's, it's, it, everything is right about doing that. At the same time, you know, in these times, a lot of people survive by cultivating a, ha a hobby or habits or learning. This is the time to reflect and get new habits or new hobbies or different things or return to things that that maybe you wished you had done, you know? And so for me, I've tended to, I've been the kind of person that tends to, I've looked at life where, you know, for the past, I'd say 12 of the past 15 years that I've been doing this, um, you know, I, I had really hard times where it was like, you know, the house that we're renting was the house we lived in, but, you know, I met my wife and she had, you know, we had really kind of built a lot up during that period of time. When I first met her, I mean, I was basically um, living in an empty house um, at 35 years old and basically had cats. Some of them were mine. Some of them were um, my exes. And so I had multiple cats, though two of them I must credit, you know, when you say your cats were quarterback with weren't weren't were quarterback whispers if if this happened well one of mine was a running back whisperer and as the audible can attest one of them also whenever we talked about a pass rusher if he jumped up there we knew he was good so <laughs> um so so we we did have i did have a couple barometers that helped me along the way but that being said um you know i certainly had years where i you know had years after having a good job and having a good career where it was like well it's the electric bill or groceries this week. 
or pawning something as much as pawning something isn't really a great idea you know i used to know where all the pawn shops in athens were and i used to go there regularly to pawn things that just didn't mean as much to me anymore because this career meant more to me than what those things did and maybe i could get them back if they meant a little something more or i you know like a tv like i didn't need you know things like that but i would uh you know go through those types of things and so as a result of that now that things are better and a lot better um you know i still sometimes have had the attitude of you know trying to save money where it's not always as necessary to have to do or like well just in case you know my wife jokes with me it's like when it's for me it's no big deal but when it's for you and you want to do something for you you're like well what if the sky falls what if the universe does this or what if like the Loch Ness monster comes out of the out of the lake here through some secret tunnel from like Scotland to you know outside here you know where I live where there's a lake not far away and crawls over to the house and like takes the roof off the house what right. what then you know that you know so I've kind of denied myself some things and I think that there's a time that if you're fortunate enough to be able to be in a position to um, give to yourself a little bit to where you can keep your mental health going and find something that's lasting and enjoyable to do that it's worth doing, you know? So for me recently, um, I, I started, you know, like I said, I started playing music again and that's been very enriching for me. And I bought us like kind of a starter professional saxophone um, and I'm, you know, it plays great. I'm really happy with it and it plays well. But I wanted a second horn just in case that, um, just in case that horn breaks and I, and I can't, because I practice every day now. I practice two, two and a half hours a day. It's like, that's, that's like my, that's my salvage. And I'm thankful I live in a neighborhood that I can do it at night where other people aren't, um, you know, complaining about it and don't have, and the house is, in a situation where it's quiet enough that I can do that. But, um, but I wanted a second horn just in case the other one, you know, needs repairs or, and also horns sound a little different. Um, so I won't get into the details of that, but I bought myself a horn I always wanted yesterday and was able to do that. And, and I would say sometimes there is a time where you look at yourself and you got to look at where you're at and go, do you treat yourself? You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be, a major purchase for me it was a major purchase and i was just like screw it i'm gonna do it and i got myself a what's called a a, a king super 20 tenor saxophone and king was a factory made in cleveland ohio back in the 19 you know and there was an era where they made great handmade horns that are vintage horns that are just absolutely fantastic they're kind of like the saxophone equivalent of getting a muscle car um in some regards um and that's what I got. Um, and to me, it's one of the best things that ever came out of that city. Um, you, you know, so in terms of products and, uh, so I'm, you know, it's nice to be able to find a vintage one and, and get one. And I'm super excited, but I guess my point about that is, yeah, you know, make sure that at some point there's, you know, your priorities, most people who are listening to this know their priorities extremely well, better than anything we can say, but just to echo anything you're thinking, there's a time sometimes that, you can look at it and go, you, you need to give to yourself and feed yourself in addition to feeding others because you're not going to be in any good shape to help anybody else out if you're not 
in a good in good shape. And that can that doesn't mean pampering yourself necessarily all the time, but it just means that if you haven't been doing that for a while, it's worthwhile to do. You know. Yeah. So I mean, a, a wise philosopher once said, "You got to take care of your mentals." And obviously, that wise philosopher is Marshawn Lynch, but it's a good point. Like. You know, times are difficult for everybody and you can't help others if you're not helping yourself. Um, and, and so whether it's, you know, a, a purchase like that or a, a day where you just like you take all the work and you put it to the side or you spend some time with your family or, or whatever it is like, you know, 2020 was a year that sort of taught us the importance of that, you know, the importance of making sure that you're in a good place mentally. Um not to dwell into a, a political realm, but Congressman Jamie Raskin of the state of Maryland um, wrote a heartbreaking piece about the death of his 25-year-old son that came out on Monday due to suicide. And it was just gut-wrenching. It was absolutely gut-wrenching. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to read. Um, and he ob he quoted from the suicide note at the end of it. This was a young man that was in Harvard Law, like looked to have everything. Um, but everybody is dealing with something. And, you know, I, I've said before that if you are somebody in that realm, my DMs are open um, because I lived that realm and I came through the other side of it, partly because of what it is that we do. And so, you know, if, if you are somebody that's sort of in that position and you need to help yourself and want to go out, you know, figure out how to go about doing that, you can reach out to me because I've lived that life. Um, but you have people have to sort of take time to do the things for themselves so that they are in a better position to then put that other positive energy into the world. Yeah. Couldn't say that any better. That's fantastic. And you know, we're all appreciative of Mark, <coughs> excuse me, blueberry smoothie from earlier, I guess. I saw uh, that. <laughs> but, um, must've been one of those chia seeds. Um, yeah. but, uh, I need to go get some more of those, by the way. So I'm going to head to the grocery store here. But on this note, you know, obviously, you know, we're really appreciative of Mark and the work that he does and just the person that he is, um, you know, and it's nice to have people in that world, in the world who think on along those lines and approach the world with that, um, with that perspective. Um, we need more of that. And hopefully we can continue to provide you a little bit of taste of that you know, every time we get a chance to meet up and, and talk about things. And if you have questions or things that you would like for us to address, you can email us, you know, you can um, or tweet us and let us know that there's something you'd love to hear us talk about on this show, um, football or otherwise. And yeah. and we're glad to do that here. Um, of course, you can rate and review the RSP um, cast, you know, over at all the outlets that this is available. It's available on pretty much every major outlet. So I don't have to recite them. Um, but you can find Mark at Mark Schofield on Twitter. You can find him at all the various outlets that he does great work on. Um, you can find me, of course, at Matt Waldman on Twitter. And we hope you guys have a fantastic week.